0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of ENT in a Nutshell. My name is Jason Barnes, and I'm again joined by Dr. Matt Coster and Dr. Garrett Choby, and today we'll be discussing EGPA or eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. Dr. Choby, Dr. Coster, thanks again for being here.
1: Thanks just for having me. Thank you.
0: Dr. Coster from the rheumatology side, uh, could you start with just telling us how a patient with Uh, eGPA, which is also known as Churg-Strauss disease, um, how they often present?
2: Certainly. So to contrast it somewhat with uh, patients who end up presenting with GPA or what was formerly known as Wegener's these patients can also have uh, sinonasal uh, dysfunction with chronic rhinosinusitis they'll often have more nasal polyps and Dr. Choby can perhaps speak a little bit more to that but this is often in the context of patients who have had long standing asthma or in adults having adult onset asthma now when you think of uh, the evolution of EGPA there's a concept of having different phases. So there's what we call a prodromal phase, meaning patients who may have more nasal polyposis, asthma, and then may start developing some symptoms that are kind of constitutional in nature, weight loss, fever, malaise, myalgia, arthralgia, et cetera. Then there seems to be uh, what we call an eosinophilic phase in which they have those symptoms that I just mentioned, but then they start having a rise or a further increase in their peripheral eosinophils. And often those levels that you're going to see are higher than 10% of your white blood cells are going to be eosinophils or greater than an absolute value of 1,500 when the eosinophils start increasing, they're gonna start depositing in different organs, right? So it can be in the sinuses that can cause localized inflammation and nasal polyps, but it can also be in other areas like the lung, causing more refractory asthma or eosinophilic asthma, or some findings of pneumonia that if you do a bronchoalveolar lavage, you'll see high levels of eosinophils present in the, the lavage material consistent with eosinophilic pneumonia. But they can also end up having it deposit in the heart, causing myocarditis, or the GI tract, causing diarrhea or abdominal pain. And so it's that infiltration of the eosinophils that can cause multiple different organs to be affected. And then there's a third or kind of final phase that sometimes can be in tandem with a significant increase in eosinophils. But this is the vasculitic phase. So this is where you're going to start seeing things like skin nodules, that if you biopsy them, you're going to end up seeing findings of eosinophilic infiltration and findings of leukocytoclastic vasculitis. Uh, That can also be seen that classical palpable purpura that's talked about. Mm. And then also findings of like alveolar hemorrhage, so bleeding in the lungs and respiratory dysfunction, mononeuritis multiplex, which is again, things like wrist drop, foot drop, they less commonly have glomerular nephritis, so renal dysfunction compared to patients with GPA. Uh, this is probably to the tune of 10 to 20%, but can be present and significant. So that's kind of the, the range of the, the different phases. Um, and so you can catch them at different time points, mm. but it's hard to solidify a diagnosis if they're in that very early prodromal phase.
0: Sure. And Dr. Chobi, when you see these folks in patient, er, I'm sorry, when you see these patients in clinic, um, what's their typical presentation and how do you evaluate them to start? So this is uh, a disease
1: that's not always very apparent at the outset of their uh, ENT evaluation. And I will also describe it uh, to a certain extent in contrast to uh, GPA and what I would say is that this disease, as far as a uh, and ENT manifestation, is more along the lines of chronic sinusitis, often with nasal polyposis, asthma, usually adult onset, and then eosinophilia. And that's in contrast to GPA, which is another vasculitic disease, but more typically presents with uh, ongoing nasal crusting, uh, septal perforations, nose deformity, and ischemia in the nose. So we do see a lot of uh, nasal involvement. And again, that's more uh, chronic rhinosinusitis, which tends to be with nasal polyposis. There can also be ear manifestations. So classically, that's going to be a serous otitis media. And there may be sensorine or hearing loss associated with it as well. And many patients have symptoms of allergic rhinitis and uh, nasal obstruction. Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Koster, can you describe a little bit the pathophysiology of the disease? What is it and what causes it?
2: Sure. So this has, uh, again, kind of two uh, somewhat distinct but overlapping uh, underlying idiopathogenic problems, right? So they're, again, similar to GPA, has an underlying genetic predisposition of different polymorphisms that can increase someone's likelihood of developing this condition, but often requires an additional stimulus. That stimulus can end up being environmental exposure, infection, drug, uh, inhaled antigens, et cetera. There's the ANCA-mediated inflammation that was described in the podcast focusing on GPA in which the neutrophils play a predominant role in getting primed and then kind of uh, increasing uh, the pro-inflammatory mediators that cause this cyclic pathway of neutrophil priming and inflammation. There's the contrary eosinophilic portion of the etiology in which interleukin-5 is extremely important in this sector of the pathogenesis. Interleukin-5, or IL-5, ends up having... an increase in eosinophil progenerators, and so they mature and then they'll end up invading into uh, the bloodstream, and then will, in high levels, start invading into the tissue. Now, eosinophils are not really white blood cells that we need, to be perfectly honest. Often they're used for fighting off parasitic infections. It's not something in which you uh, need these in a fighting off an infection standpoint and so it's often more in an allergic stance and so not to get too into the weeds but when you're talking about lymphocytes there's a th1 pathway which is predominantly uh, your t cells that are like lymphocytes Uh, for th2 pathway it's more of an allergic reaction and that's where the eosinophils are present which is why urticaria often has eosinophils involved it's that upregulation of il5 and the kind of cyclical increase in eosinophils that leads to that perpetual elevation of eosinophils, and in some cases, dramatic rises that leads to eosinophilic deposition in tissue that can lead to local inflammation and organ damage. Mm. So there's kind of the vasculitic stance and the eosinophil stance that can overlap, and both can have issues in the lungs, but it's more the eosinophil infiltration that's more for the sinuses, the GI tract, Uh, the cardiac structures, whereas the ANCA-mediated inflammation is going to be more like the kidneys, to some extent the lungs, uh, and the nerves. Mm. And so it's trying to understand both those mechanisms, which will end up uh, going a little bit more further into detail about why there's different medications that work a little bit more effectively in this condition as opposed to GPA.
0: And I'm sure on the rheumatology side, there are a number of things on your differential diagnosis, but Dr. Choby, uh, from an ENT standpoint, when you evaluate someone who ends up being diagnosed with eGPA, what else is on your differential diagnosis?
1: So with this disease process, again, because we're typically seeing things like CRS with nasal polyps, asthma, and eosinophilia, we think of other disease that may, may manifest itself similarly. So, we think of things like um, AERD would be a a very classic one to think about. Again, uh, that disease has been talked about in another podcast, but nasal polyposis, usually elevated eosinophil level, asthma, and then a reactivity to aspirin products would be one we think about a lot. It could be routine uh, CRS with nasal polyposis as well as asthma, which do commonly occur together with or without the aspirin sensitivity. Um, Allergic fungal sinusitis could be entertained in the differential as well. Uh, commonly an eosinophil manifested disease, then other things as well, more un- unusual but hyper eosinophilic syndrome would be one, or uh, allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis is something that could be uh, entertained as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Coster, when you see these patients, what's your workup for them?
2: So uh, similar to any patient that we're evaluating for multi-system disease uh, in the spectrum of ANCA-associated vasculitis, it's going to be a very thorough history and physical exam to evaluate the different organ systems that may have any pathology or abnormalities to further investigate with either biopsy or imaging studies. Most of these patients will often have already had uh, CBCs that have been evaluated showing evidence of eosinophilia. We will uh, look at these and trend these over time to see has been persistently or periodically elevated. Things in which they have persistent elevation greater than 10% of their peripheral eosinophils um, is an important uh, finding in these patients and often pathognomonic to some extent. They'll typically have asthma, uh, and so whether they're not quite Diagnosed with that, we will often send them for pulmonary function testing with a methylcholine challenge to identify that. Uh, in addition, nitric oxide testing, either nasal or oral can show elevated levels of uh, uh, exhaled nitric oxide, which is a findings uh, seen within patients with asthma. Evaluating different uh, organ systems, again, so looking at the lungs with a chest X-ray or a high-resolution CT scan to look for abnormalities. CT scan of the sinuses if felt necessary by our ENT colleagues, evaluation for renal dysfunction, uh, full neurologic examination to make sure that there's no deficits. And then in patients with significant inflammation, so high inflammatory markers like sedimentation rate or C-reactive protein, And if they look ill or if they have findings suggestive of heart failure, those patients will often end up getting an echocardiogram and or a cardiac MRI to look for any concern of myocarditis, which is a very poor prognostic finding in these patients and requires aggressive treatment. Patients who have chronic diarrhea or abdominal pain may require a CT scan of the abdomen. And so often it's trying to evaluate these different organ territories, evaluate them by exam, laboratory, and also imaging. We do check ANCA serologies for these patients, but they're not as helpful uh, in comparison to patients with uh, GPA. For the frequency of finding ANCA serologies in these patients, it's typically around the frequency of 40 to 60% of patients may be ANCA positive. If they are, they are more commonly P ANCA, myeloperoxidase antibody positive. But it's truly a flip of the coin sometimes as far as whether they will be or not. So negative ANCA serologies with a correct constellation of symptoms and persistent eosinophilia still has a strong suspicion for this disease. So checking those labs alone and seeing them negative is not sufficient to rule out this condition.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there a diagnostic criteria to formally diagnose this? There's not
2: actually a diagnostic uh, criteria that we end up uh, using for this. However, there is um, classification criteria that we end up using, and it's rather old. The last time that this was done was in 1990, and that was the American College of Rheumatology classification criteria that was used at that time. Those are in the works of being updated through an international collaboration um, that is trying to update these things now that we have ANCA astrologies, because actually the ANCA testing was not even included in the initial classification criteria from 1990. Mm-hmm. The classification criteria from that time, and these, um, while used for research purposes and not four diagnoses are helpful to remind you what are areas to consider, but the six different things to consider for possibility are asthma, eosinophils greater than 10% of your leukocytes, mononeuropathy or polyneuropathy, so mononeuritis multiplex, migratory or transient pulmonary opacities, paranasal sinus abnormalities, or a biopsy of a blood vessel showing accumulation of eosinophils in extravascular area. So if you have four or more of those, that would be what fits classification criteria, but again, not to be used for diagnostic purposes.
0: Mm -hmm. And just to kind of push into that a little bit more, how do you diagnose someone with eGPA?
2: So similar to GPA um, or Wegners, it's really a clinical diagnosis. And so you have to evaluate the patient and understand the clinical symptoms. Labs, imaging, biopsy can all be helpful. Biopsy, if positive, can be considered confirmatory. But you have to understand that there are other things that can end up causing similar findings. Uh, Systemic infections with parasitic infections hyper eosinophilic syndrome, whether that's primary or secondary, as mentioned by Dr. Chobe. And in addition, there's a higher frequency of patients who have, for instance, eosinophilic asthma. So that has a frequency of one in 13 people in the U.S. Um, I'm sorry, asthma itself is one in 13 uh, in the U.S. Eosinophilic asthma is about one in 250. Eosinophilic pneumonia, about one in 100,000. But eGPA, the annual incidence of that is about one to two per million. So you got to think of these more common things first if the clinical situation is not likely, but certainly a patient with the right constellation of symptoms, persistent eosinophilia, uh, constitutional symptoms, elevated inflammatory markers, sinus abnormalities. If they have a biopsy that's positive, that's conclusive, Um, those would be the ones that for sure have the diagnosis. The other ones, you have to try to bring enough information to raise your suspicion to initiate treatment.
0: Mm -hmm. And what is the treatment?
2: So there's uh, similar to our other diseases, but specifically in vasculitis, you have to understand how severe the disease is to understand and guide how aggressive to be with treatment. There is something called a five-factor score that had been uh, identified through the French Vasculitis Study Group that looks at the different involvement and severity of the organ manifestations in the heart, lung, GI, and central nervous system. And if they have one or more of those involvements, that is uh, considered severe disease and requires typically induction with something like cyclophosphamide and high-dose steroids. For patients who have um, what we call lower-risk disease, or five-factor score of zero, which are often patients who may have some mild lung involvement or sinus nasal abnormalities but don't have severe organ dysfunction. Those patients may be treated in some circumstances with a course of moderate dose of prednisone with taper and may have improvement and uh, uncommon remission, but may uh, at least have significant symptom resolution and may not require uh, ongoing immunosuppressive therapy. Most patients will, however, have return of asthma and sinus symptoms, which are common to recur, and will respond to steroids, but when you taper them, have relapses or flares and will often require disease-modifying agents such as methotrexate or less commonly prescribed things like azathioprine or mycophenolate. There is a a new medicine that has been uh, recently approved within the last 12 to 18 months for the treatment of eGPA. It's a biologic medicine called mepolizumab, or its trade name is Nucala. It's an inhibitor of interleukin-5, which I explained was a very key integral role of the eosinophil deposition. When you're having patients who have predominantly asthma or sinus disease, we find that mepolizumab is very helpful. However, patients who have vasculitic involvement, so kidney um, alveolar hemorrhage in the lung, mononuritis multiplex, those are patients who may not respond effectively to mepolizumab and may require things like cyclophosphamide or the medicine that's approved for GPA, but not eGPA, which is rituximab. And that's currently being trialed in several different countries for the use of eGPA, but with a variable effect.
0: And Dr. Chobie, uh, what is your treatment approach for patients with eGPA who present to your clinic, specifically with sinus symptoms?
1: So this disease is is primarily uh, managed and approached much like other uh, issues of of chronic rhinosinusitis. I mentioned earlier that these patients oftentimes will have nasal polyposis and directed treatment in regards to uh, topical steroids and even systemic steroids may be indicated. I will mention, we just published uh, a study uh, last month uh, looking at EGPA manifestations in the sinuses, and that was uh, really spearheaded by Dr. Lowe and Dr. O'Brien. And in in our study, which was, I believe, the largest uh, EGPA series to date published uh, looking at sinus issues, only 50% of those patients actually had nasal polyposis. So perhaps in some larger series such as that, uh, less polyposis than we originally imagined. We also set to look at things like could we predict what factors of their disease may make their sinus disease worse and we couldn't really pick out any specific factors we looked at uh their ANCA positivity the level of their eosinophilia et cetera, and none of those things really uh sh- were shown to have worsened outcomes in regards to symptom management uh, or worsened lund mckay scores so we end up treating these patients like a routine sinusitis patient We'll treat them medically as appropriate with our typical uh, systemic and topical medication regimens. And then we will also uh, occasionally operate on these patients from a sinus standpoint, although we think that they probably do less well overall postoperatively than more routine cases of nasal polyposis or CRS. I'll also mention they their ears are oftentimes involved. And that's typically things like uh, otitis media or sensor neural hearing loss. And they may also benefit from addressing that with things like Uh, with 2 placement or topical drops uh, for the ears as well.
0: Sure. And Dr. Koster, how do you uh, counsel patients on follow-up prognosis outcomes and expectations?
2: So the prognosis of this condition really depends on how severe the manifestations are and how quickly and appropriately uh, treatments are enacted. For patients who have severe lung disease or kidney disease, uh, damage may occur prior to Initiation of treatments and therefore they may have ongoing dysfunction with respiratory compromise or renal dysfunction that may, in some circumstances, require renal replacement therapy like dialysis. But for patients who don't have severe disease at the beginning that has led to damage, often they will have a pretty significant recovery with improvement of their cardiac GI and renal manifestations, although cardiac involvement with myocarditis can be a poor prognostic factor. The thing that patients with eGPA need to understand, though, is that while we can very effectively treat the vasculitic manifestations with treatments, the features of asthma and often nasal crusting and uh, chronic uh, rhinosinusitis may be difficult to get those patients into full remission without any recurrence. So those are the most frequently relapsing symptoms. And so while treatment with immunosuppressive medicines can be very effective for the treatment of the vasculitic manifestations, we often have to rely on ongoing assistance and guidance from our ENT and pulmonary colleagues to make sure that they're optimized uh, with their sinus rinses and other uh, sinus-targeted treatments, as well as inhaled corticosteroids uh, and asthma-related medications. Mm -hmm. The treatment with things like mepolizumab has been quite helpful in reducing those chronic recurrent relapsing features of the sinus and asthma, and that's bringing us into a new era of better control. But of the three different subtypes of vasculitis, the one that has the most frequent relapses, again, with sinus and asthma, is EGPA. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this has been a super helpful discussion for um, a disease process that we don't often see. Um, before I go into the summary, Dr. Koster, Dr. Choby, anything you would add?
1: No, I think I was very thorough. I appreciate the uh, the nice uh, summary and guidance by Dr. Koster. Yeah,
2: the only thing that I would add is that there are evolving uh, clinical trials that are being uh, focused on for eGPA. So there will be ideally uh, new medications that will be available that we're not even talking about right now, sometime perhaps in the next two to four years, uh, which is just showing kind of the evolution and the importance of these diseases that are being recognized more commonly now.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll uh, move into our summary uh, here now. Uh, EGPA or eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis is a small vessel vasculitis. And in contrast to GPA, this more often presents with asthma as the cardinal feature, though ENT symptoms can include serous otitis media and sensory neural hearing loss, allergic rhinitis, nasal obstruction, and CRS with nasal polyposis. Workup includes... Um, uh, Lab work with ANCA, but only 40 to 60% of these patients will show ANCA positivity. But in these cases, P-ANCA is more common in contrast to GPA, which is more common to have C-ANCA. Classification criteria are used to describe the features of eGPA, and this includes greater than 10% uh, eosinophilia, mononeuropathy or polyneuropathy, migratory or transient pulmonary opacities paranasal sinus abnormalities, and a biopsy of blood vessels showing accumulation of eosinophils. Uh, treatment uh, varies, but can include steroids and other medications such as cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, azathioprine, and mycophenolate. And Dr. Coster mentioned uh, mepolizumab, the IL-5 specific treatment. Uh, and from the ENT side of things, we treat them uh, like a CRS patient, uh, possibly uh, providing sinus surgery, though it might not be quite as successful in these patients. Dr. Koster, Dr. Truby, anything else you'd like to add? I think that sums it up. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yeah, thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. We'll now move into uh, a question-asking portion of this episode. As a reminder, I'll ask a question, wait a few seconds, and then provide the answer. So the first question is, what is the most common presenting feature of eGPA? The most common presenting feature of eGPA is asthma. Next question, describe the ANCA positivity in patients with eGPA. In eGPA, only about half of patients are gonna be ANCA positive. Those who are positive are more likely to be P ANCA positive. And our final question, What role does sinus surgery play in eGPA? eGPA is a disease that's a little bit more difficult to treat with sinus surgery. It is offered, but we try to limit it because it might not be as effective as um, patients with CRS. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.